Guys, welcome to another episode of the Valley Deep Mountain High podcast. This is quite a special one, so this will be episode 10 of series one. So this will be the final episode of this podcast series, and then we will start tomorrow on series two. With that being said, um, if you haven't already doing so, can you head over to at Valley Deep Mountain High on Instagram and give that a follow? Tonight, I'm joined with my good friend Jonathan Flynn from episode nine. We're going to discuss a couple of different books. Um, it's something that a few people have asked for, so we thought we'd give it a go. So, Jonathan, how are you? Hey, mate. Good to hear from you. How are you? Yeah, mate. Yeah, not doing too bad. Not doing too bad. So, um, yeah, let's let's have a chat, mate, about a couple of bits. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a, it's going to be quite a different one, this, because in the first lockdown, it's pretty sad when we can sort of say lockdown one, two, and three, isn't it? Um, yeah. But in the first lockdown, I shared a couple of books for the outdoors, uh, and then last night I shared one uh, on my feed as well, and a few people have asked about other books and stuff, and it's something that you mentioned as well. Um, so I thought it'd be good to sort of have a chat with you, discuss a couple of um, inspirational books um, that have helped with the outdoors, or and, and not only that as well, they're a good bit of expedition kit, you know, something to do when there's nothing else to do, um, like lockdown. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> Do you, do, um, do you fancy doing fiction first and then non-fiction if you've got any? Um, yeah, I've just been I'm surrounded by books here because obviously we've got a caveat this episode with there are thousands of books exactly. and everyone will have different views on different books. So I've kind of categorised them into three in my, in my head yeah. and see how you like it. So there's like practical books that will help you do practical things, you know, like what knots to tie on your sailing boat or whatever. Yeah. Then there's... Um, fiction and non-fiction and there's some that straddle that line you know they might be based on biographies but then there's some fictional elements to them and things like that yeah um i've limited as well to books i've read because i don't want to yeah. be one of those I mean, people who's like oh this book's great swallows and amazons yes exactly yeah I, I and think, i've never um, read it i think that's a, a worthy point to note and something we probably could have done with race in a little bit really um, <laughs> <laughs> um i can only obviously state ones that I've read or that I know people have read and gone, you know, for practical ones, for example, and be like, this is worth having. Because um, I know, for example, you've got a couple of books that I don't have, but I know that they're a great um, learning aid. Uh, I've only yeah. not got them because I've got other ones. Um, so, yeah, do you want to do, do, do fiction first? And then we'll, then we'll go into nonfiction and then practical. Yeah. So <laughs> on, my, um, on my list on the on my bed I'm looking at all the books now there isn't actually a work of fiction there but there are obviously fiction books that would help uh, inspire you about the outdoors I think a lot of my childhood books um, that I read when I was young were you know they're all works of fiction yeah they took place in the outdoors or they were um, inspired to go exploring and see things like Robinson Crusoe and thinking of I'm thinking of um, King Solomon's Mines. Remember reading that? Yeah. Um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. So I've got a, a set of Hamlin classics. I've still got them because I'm nostalgic about these. I read them when I was young. Yeah. And hopefully my boys will be reading them as they get a bit older. Um, so I've got all them still in my um, on my shelves at home. So there's three good examples. Yeah. yeah. How about so, you? So for for. This was a tough one for me, this, because obviously I, I did a lot of reading when I was a kid. Then I kind of like stopped reading for, for a while, if you will, um, mm-hmm. until I sort of went away and when I deployed and 
a couple of quite a fair few trips out to sea to be fair were, were when I started reading again because in between your watch pattern if you're not on deck on watch then you know you, you're below deck doing nothing um so childhood ones I've got, there's some classics in there obviously so the, the earliest books I remember reading probably Narnia um proper oh, yeah. fantasy you know childhood sort of books then I read The Hobbit um, mm-hmm. I remember my dad being like, you "Need to read the Hobbit. It's amazing." And the Hobbit is a great book. Um, yeah, it is. But you know, if you if you're too lazy to read, obviously there's now a film of the Hobbit. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then as it as a kind of, I'd say when I was deployed, I didn't really do much reading of like nonfiction and and practical books. I read a lot of fiction because there was nothing else to do, and it was the only way I could stop myself from getting mega bored. Um, one of the most recent ones I read was uh, North's Mythology by Neil Gaiman. Um, oh, yeah. Obviously, you know, um, covers all the, the Norse gods and things like that, but it's incredibly well written. Uh, I think that's probably the quickest book I've ever read as well, like, yeah. personally, because, you know, um, I think I did that in a week, which is quick for me. You know what I mean? Um, I could mm-hmm. not put it down. Um, so that that was great. Um, and then, I can't remember, there was so I wasn't going to mention it, but I, I will do because obviously there's there's all areas of people from what's life listen to this, so it won't be to everyone's tastes. Um, it is definitely not PC. <laughs> I know what's coming so, up now. Yeah, yeah. So there's an author called <laughs> <laughs> there's an author called Ross Patterson, and um, he's done three books, but I only know the titles of two of them. So um, the first book he did was called At Night She Cries While He Rides His Steed. Um, and the second one was called When Darkness Falls, He Didn't Catch It. So and I can't remember <laughs> the third one because I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm halfway through the second one. But what I will say is the first one is set. Uh, it's about a guy called St. James Street James because he was so cool and named himself twice. And um, it was set in the gold rush era of, uh, of America. And it's basically a guy who just gets rich, goes around drinking and you know, sleeping about. That is it. it it's marketed Living the dream. Yeah, it's marketed as a romance novel for dudes. Now, that's a niche market. By far, the funniest like thing I've ever read. Like literally every page in this book, I was laughing. I started reading it on a plane, and I was I was asked to be quiet. <laughs> so, and then the second one that I'm halfway through reading now, um, when Dan Swallows doesn't catch it, kind of follows on from that one. And uh, again, that is incredibly on PC, but absolutely amazing, funny. So I know there's a lot of veterans who, who follow my podcast and, and listen to this as well. Um, Ross Patterson's one of the guys behind the Drinking Bros podcast. Um, so that if they, they're more than likely to listen to that, so they'll get his humour. Um, they're amazing. So if you haven't read him yet, I know I know I've, I've shared it with you because we listened to a bit, a bit of the audio book and you stag do. Um, yeah we did yeah <laughs> so that book is amazing so get on that um, and then fiction wise the, there's only one of a book that I think I read really that I stuck out which was called Death's Head um, but I can't remember the author's name but that was basically um, a guy who's like a hitman um, but it's set in the future um, that was quite interesting and then obviously standard sort of military ones of all of Andy McNabb's books and stuff like that you know yeah uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't tend to read a lot of fiction, to be fair, um, anymore. Just because I've not. I mean, I recently got a Kindle, um, so I've sat to force myself to read more. Um, mm-hmm. 
basically. And plus, as well, I'm running out of space for like books around the house. So um, that's an easy <laughs> yeah, way to print it. Nice problem to have, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned The Hobbit on there because I only read that recently. Um, they really? had a copy. I, I work at a school, so they had it knocking about at school. Um, my dad's favourite book, and my dad's a massive influence on on me reading. Because um, you've been to my house, well, my dad's house, and it's yeah. full of books. Oh yeah. Um, so his favourite book is The Lord of the Rings, and he reads it every. He must have read it sixty plus times. Yeah. Easy. He reads it every year, probably two or three times a year. And he would say that's the better fantasy book. Yeah, um, they are he loves awesome, it. They are when he was, um, when I was in my teenage years, I think he tried to make me, you know, he really encouraged me to read that book because he wanted to bond with me over the, over it, and I couldn't get on with the names, all the nonsense, uh, mm. carrying on that. Obviously, the films had just come out, and they really condense the law. Um, yeah. So I wasn't. I was a bit turned off in the fantasy genre then at that point, and I was like, stuff it, I won't reread in them again. And Harry Potter as well went the same way. I read the first few and, and, and I couldn't be bothered, and I got a bit lazy with all that. And then, um, and some people you know, love that my mates who read books a lot, they'll be spinning at that comment, you know, how can you not love them? <laughs> books are so well written. Um, but recently, I work at school and they had a copy of The Hobbit knocking about. And so when I was um, on detention duty, I used to read Hobbit, yeah, because it's easy to read, dead quick. It's great. It's well written. It's perfect for kids. It's, it's got a lot of um, quality books. You know, they pass into sort of common parlance, and common phrases, and a lot of what's written in the Hobbit. You know, we use in common terms now, so it's been so influential. Yeah, and, and you can chat. You can trace back a lot of the fantasy law to the release of that book. Mm. and you know modern fantasy laws that are based around that so yeah great adventure tale isn't it really yeah see I, i'm my my memories of that are very similar to yours so obviously my dad read the hobbit and then lord of the rings probably because your dad told him to read it to be fair um, <laughs> and um the lord of the rings obviously like if, if if no one's read them you've got to read them slow you can't like rush it do you know what i mean because it is very complicated um, mm. I don't mean read it slow as in like as if you're reading it in your best crayon voice. I mean, <laughs> you've got to take your time and just sort of like enjoy the story. Do you know what I mean? I think if you rush it and get too hung up in it, it becomes very stressful and then you get bored of it and then, you know, it ruins it for you. Um, there's another book by Tolkien, though, that is really good. Um, I meant to dig it out of the loft before, but I forgot. It's, um, one, it's a book of loads of short stories, but one of them is called Rover Random. Uh, and I read that to Bradley um when he was a little bit younger and it's about um a dog that bites the the trousers of a wizard um so he turns him into different stuff and sends him everywhere um and bradley loved that so it's it a it's sort of a you know a young um like story to read to your kids or whatever um that was really good but obviously as an adult it was quite interesting because it's just a bit mental really um <laughs> i think anyone who's anyone who's read any sort of tolkien books will understand that and they'll be like yeah yeah totally um <laughs> You know, so yeah, I think they're interesting. Um, and then any others that I can, there isn't really any more that I can think of really. I think Nani was a key point. I think, you know, reading them and, and stuff like that, because that happened around about the time. Um, so Paul, who we mentioned in the last podcast, he was, he was um, in Africa, was, um, his dad broke his leg really badly uh, climbing. So Paul stayed with us for, 
about six weeks. Um, and that was the time when my dad was like, read these books. Um, so that was a key point, sort of, you know, being like, right, okay, I'll read them. Because I was only young then. I must have been about, I don't know, 11, maybe. Yeah, if that. Um, yeah. If, Between yeah, nine and 11, I'd say, if yeah. I remember it correctly. Yeah, I was only young. Although I remember of the start of that journey of reading them books is coming down the stairs one morning and my dad's looking very tired. And I went, you're all right. What was, what was your trip like? You know, I've missed you. I've been hugging him. Oh, yeah, we've had a uh, rescue out and everything. And uh, Tony broke his leg really badly and got airlifted to hospital. I was like, right. <laughs> and that was that was the start of, you know, that really, I think. And it's probably from that age then, really, I think, where I started reading. But like I said, you know, I didn't read for a long time until, you know, a couple of trips out to sea like going to the pharaohs and stuff because it's a lot you spend a long time doing nothing um and you know it's, it's an easy way to pass time but then obviously when i was deployed there's books everywhere and there's nothing else to do so i just read loads of books you know mm. in a great way to pass the time um so yeah so that's me done for fiction really because that's how many you've read Super. <laughs> okay mate. yeah there's loads outside of this sort of uh exploratory genre they wouldn't yeah. really expi- in, inspire you to see and do things but a lot oh. of books i like are about people you know and and uh the relationships between people and things like that so there's i could list off loads of non-fiction books or fiction books sorry about that there's um there's one that i did forget to mention though to be fair and it's a key one to mention because me and you spend a lot of time in coniston um yeah and um, when I was when I was younger, it's a pivotal sort of adventure tale, really. Um, now this might sound mental to people who don't know me and 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 Jonathan and my brother and our upbringing and stuff like that. But obviously, like we said on the you know a few episodes, we were very lucky to have a bit of a a crazy upbringing, if you will, of being left to do our stuff. Um, so my dad read Swallows and Amazons and was like, "You need to read this book, um, set in the Lake District." Um, so it was. It's set on Peel Island in Coniston on Coniston Water. Um, however, it was filmed somewhere else. Um, so when we were probably about thirteen, uh, I remember getting in the safety boat for um, when we were sailing because we spend every summer in the Lake District on Derwent Water. My dad took me, Mark, and Paul to an island on Derwent Water got us off, we had a walk round, and when we come back to where the boat was, uh, just left like a bucket full of food and a tarp and some sleeping bags and a phone and said, any problems, give me a ring, I'll be back in a week, and just left us on this island. Amazing. <laughs> um, and it was after reading that book. Now, as a kid, um, that was just a massive adventure. It was, I mean, like, you can't really get away doing it now because the lakes is so well visited now and it's so accessible to get to those places it wouldn't be safe to leave your kids just on an island. He probably wasn't then. However, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> but then, then then, the year after, we asked if we could go back. Um, so we kayaked to this island and do it. Water's pretty big, you know. Um, and he basically, like, dropped us off with these kayaks and then said, as you're leaving, do you not go out in the kayaks on your own, lads? And we're like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah. So what did we do? Like, obviously, we went out yeah, in the kayaks all night. And he said he deliberately told us not to do it. So we did do it and have a bit more of an adventure. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds it just it sounds crazy, you know. Like, and being a parent myself now, it, it sounds a bit mad that, but I'm really grateful of those experiences because they they've what you know what pushed me towards adventure now and, and wanting to do more. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, how would you feel? Would you like kick your kids off and now and leave them for a week? Oh, do it now, yeah. mate. <laughs> <laughs> the one's great. only five it, months old. Yeah, I want to kid him. I would. I think I'd remain close by, and yeah, they, they were. They, they kept. We don't pair it in isolation, do we? So we'd have to see what his mum had to say about that. Um, I think I but, think she'd be all right. Yeah, she probably would actually. <laughs> You're very lucky. That. She's very like-minded, isn't she? So she's yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So um, it reminded me when you were talking about it, and I think it could descend into Lord of the Flies quite yes. quickly. Oh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> There's stuff that's definitely not suitable for the podcast, but it was very, very almost like Lord of the Flies at one point. It was all falling out <laughs> and fighting. But, you know, what the dad said when he come back to get us, he was like, you were all like proper feral, like running around with like just shorts on, like no shirt and like mud painted everywhere and that. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty meant to be fair. Like as a kid, that was like, looking back at it now, I mean like um, when we could travel in the summer, uh, I paddleboarded to Peel Island and Hammocks there on the overnight and then paddleboarded back. And like that was an adventure, you know, and it was great. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was definitely set the tone. Yeah, it was good. I think you do pick a lot up from 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 reading anyway. I think, especially fiction at a young age, you know, because your imagination's yeah. better, isn't it? Really, a, a world beyond your own, which is yeah. great, you know, and especially. Even more so if you've not had the upbringing or opportunities you, we had. You dropped when out we were then, mate. Sorry. What, what did you say? You then? know, if you're stuck inside, and sorry, um, I said even more so if you've not had the opportunities or upbringing that we had. Oh yeah. When we were exactly. growing up, um, you know, if you're stuck inside, books can act as a massive means of of escapism, and that's yeah, yeah. Especially now, I think people are feeling the pinch out. Yeah. They? In lockdown and and the one a bit of escapism, some books have always offered yeah. that to me, yeah. and that's why. So, people what like about nonfiction then? Have you got any any sort of good ones? Oh yes, I've got. Yeah, so there's um there's a couple of autobiographical ones, which take place um a number of expeditions yeah. take place either in the course of the people's lifetime. Or they're based around one expedition, yeah. but they talk about their own life leading up to it. So there's two really good ones here. There's um, the autobiography of Ranoff Fiennes called Mad, Bad and Dangerous to Know. Obviously, he's the most decorated living explorer. And you can yeah. pick any chapter and be blown away by what he's done in the world. Um, how he uses connections, how he uses training, his military training, his... Um, the role of his wife, he's really keen on that. And I was fortunate, um, my wife bought my tickets to go and see him when he was promoting this book. And he I sat oh, for yeah. a talk with him in um, the awesome. theatre on the lake in Keswick. Uh, it was an amazing experience, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't yeah, want to queue up to get it signed because <laughs> I was a bit tired and I should have got it signed. <laughs> Missed uh, out there. What an idiot. Oh, well. Right, number two on the list. I oh, know, oh, you know, what can you say? This I've got a copy of a book in my hand. This is actually signed, and this is by a fellow called Chris Bray. Now, Chris Bray, um, if you're on the gram, some people might know Chris Bray is um, an amazing wildlife photographer, and he did some very interesting videos for um, Canon cameras, the camera company Canon, a few years ago, where he strapped a Canon camera to a remote-controlled car, 
and drove it oh, into right. like a lion's um lion's den essentially and the lions would like look look into it and he got some really good photos and video of lions um he talks a bit about his transition into wildlife photographer in this book because when he was um when he was trying to get funding for his expedition he uh he ended up contacting canon and they gave okay. him all this uh, stuff to document his trip so it's called the 1000 hour day and it's about um two guys chris bray and a fella called clark carter and they're only 20 and 21 at the time and they want to cross um the ninth largest island in the world which is victoria island that was a really good film i saw the film first at one of these um like bump film yeah. festivals or adventure film festivals and the film's amazing but um it didn't get a lot of play because yeah. it was stuck to these um you know these festival sort of circuits um but on the back of the film i tried to get a copy of the film but no one they didn't get a release like a general release but the word selling yeah. books or got a book yeah and it is signed so happy days it's absolutely amazing and really difficult they train themselves up to cross this uh, it's about a thousand kilometers wide this island and it's mixture of so it's in the antarctic that's why it's called so it's in the arctic that's what's called the thousand hour day so they, they try and go through in summer and they're pulling um they use like uh, kayaks with wheels because the terrain is such where there's lots of rivers boulders they need to be able to get in and out of the sea um and then across yeah. land, so they carry everything on these kayaks on wheels. Um, but they run into loads of difficulties, and they have to come back. Uh, they have to give up their expedition and then come back for three years later after having a total redesign. Um, uh, the book's really good, really well written, but also it goes into some depth about his own life um, and what made him adventurous. And he yeah. seems like he's had a good time. He, he spent sailing around the world Maybe. when he was young with his parents, stuff like that. So it's a great one. Um, and then, so they're sort of autobio autobiographical. And then there's another one that's, it's a bit like that. It's a bit of a mixture. So it's one of my favourite books. Right. And it's called Feet in the Clouds by Richard Asquith. And it's all about um, yeah. fell running. The fell running scene in, the, in Britain uh, takes you up. So he did. He, he used to be a writer for the Observer. I think he used to be one of the editors of the Observer Observer newspaper. And he got into fell running because his mates were into it. And in the course of the book, he tries to do the yeah. Bob Graham rounds. Now, if you've ever been to yeah. Grasmere in the Lake District, there's a big plaque up, isn't there? And it's a fella from. He's not too far from uh, where we live now. Bob in, Rose, in, yeah, yeah. He yeah. runs for Pointing. I think he still runs for Pointing. Called Mark Harthill. And he set the record, until recently it was broken, but he set the record in the 90s for the fastest Bob Graham round. So the Bob Graham round is 42 Lakeland that, yeah. peaks in under 24 hours. And you run up them. Um, yeah, it's one of the harder things to do yeah. in in Britain, I think, in terms of a challenge. Um, and he, coming from a, not a very fitness-orientated background, he ends up wanting to sign up for one of these Bob Grahams. And he says, right, I'm going to do it. And it takes him four attempts. And Mate, he nearly surprised. has a mental breakdown <laughs> during it. Because it's like, it, it, yeah, he thinks there's not, I mean, I mean, during those four attempts. So 
either on the attempts because he fails or he thinks he's never going to do it. So the book takes you through that. That's probably half the book is, is his journey through that. The other half is interspersed with um, yeah. documenting trail running or fell running. Not trail running, sorry, fell running. So um, from probably the 30s right up to the modern day. And um, some of it's like yeah. calendar entries, you know, this race or that race. Some of it's more about his training. Um, it's really well written. Me? In fact, I'd like to read you a little bit from it, if that's all right. Oh, awesome, right. So he's just gone to the pub with his mate who's describing to him yeah. what fell running the Bob Graham is all about and his friend had had an attempt but didn't um, yeah. didn't manage to do it so he's explained what the Bob Graham round is much better than I just did and then he's talking about his his friend's talking about his failed attempt and he says this it's great really, a typically British thing you've got this incredibly exclusive club that anyone can join free of charge the only catch is that to get in you have to run 42 peaks in 24 hours. I tried it last year, but I only got as far as Wasdale. That's about 30 peaks. The weather was terrible and I just wasn't fit enough. We were two hours down on the schedule when we got there. My friend Rob, who was doing it with me, had a bite to eat and then decided he was going to carry on. It was unbelievable. It was just so exciting. Off he went. And by the time he'd gone to Honister, that's the next road crossing, he'd made back about 40 minutes. So it was still theoretically possible only if he ran flat out all the way over the last three mountains and then on the road section back to Keswick, which is about another six or seven miles. So he just shoots past us without stopping and disappears into the darkness up Dale Head. This reminded me of something. How the hell does anyone run on the fells in the dark? Oh, you manage. He was too wrapped up in his narrative to be bothered with such trivia. I never did get a better answer. The excitement, he continued, was simply unbearable. His brother's girlfriend had gone up on the fells to cheer him on and in the excitement, everyone forgot about her. They just roared off into the car to the point where they come down on the road again. And it was hours before anyone noticed she was missing. Anyway, Rob got there with five minutes to spare. But God, you should have seen the state of him. He pissed <laughs> himself, shat himself, puked all over himself. I thought he was going to die. There wasn't the slightest suggestion of disgust in his voice, just awe and respect. Yeah. Mate. a trace of envy. I love that book. I'm getting on that. So that's like, like said, near the start. Like, yeah, a lot it's, it's so good. And for, for those who don't know the difference between trail running and fell running, they're very similar, um, but there's there's quite a noticeable difference when you run both of the styles. So trail running is off-road on mostly trails. Um, bit of road running, a lot of off-road track. Fell running is you probably start on a trail, but you end up on most, most of the time no, no track at all. What you would call like a quality mountain day if you were walking it. Um, but it separates like everyone. Yeah. I mean, to 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 do an event like that, an endurance event anyway, you know, is is summer, you know, because like I, I think physical fitness will take you so far. A lot of endurance events are all in your head. You've got to be comfortable in your own head. Um, so like recently, when I've been doing a lot of running, I, I've um, I don't take headphones at all um, because I want it to be like a journey. And um, it's a great way. It's a great way of sort of. I mean, I'm very used I agree to with that, myself. Yeah. You know, I've been brought up like that. Um, you know, to just keep going. It's character building. There's a very big difference of pushing yourself and also listening to yourself when you need to stop as well. Um, 
and it's finding that balance. And I think you only find that balance when you're concentrating. Um, if that makes sense. I mean, I know you run a lot, so you probably you'll probably understand that quite quite a bit. Um, yeah, this this book was really um, inspirational to me in terms of yeah. wanting to get into my local fell running scene because um, I used to work in the lakes and I knew about the Bob Graham and um, and you know part of me was like, yeah, I'll do that one day. And it's looking less and less likely year on year because of you know, injury and yeah. commitments to family and things like that. But I'm never saying never, you know, there might be an opportunity. Yeah. Um, but I know some very healthy people who are attempting it or going through the process and you need to commit a long time to mm. wanting to do it. Not just the, the fitness aspect, but the nav, the, the ability to um, get around the places in, a, in an orderly yeah. fashion, not get lost, not get distressed in the dark, not get... Um, yeah, and weather could end it. You know, lots of things could stop that. Anyway, I got into my local fell racing scene, um, which is quite rich near where I live, and I do a lot of races. Oh, yeah. out of, well, did when they were running at Hayfield. Um, fell race running is great because it's cheap. It's for it's for tight asses like me. So fiver and fiver, you get your race entry in a flapjack. You run round. Everyone just mm. there's no ego. Everyone just bashes around his cars. And then you end up at the finish, licking your wounds, chatting to whoever's just raced yeah. with you, yeah. covered in mud and God knows what else. Um, and they're really good fun. And there's, and there's, there's um, ones for a variety of, of, of distances. There's really tough ones that are more like uh, like hiking and really prioritise the nav. There's some that are more like... Um, quick races so you're just following the you're following everyone yeah. and it's just about who's got the biggest burst of speed and um there's a nice league near me that, that you have to race uh, i think it count there's loads of races but it counts your top six performances you have to do two of each distance so short medium or long um and your best four count towards that as long as you've done six races and count each you know in, two in each distance yeah your best four count towards your, your ranking. So everyone has a go. Yeah. And it's just, it's fab fun for not a lot of money. I used to do triathlon. That's a whole expense. Yeah. And I couldn't get on with that. Uh, I didn't have the money to do that. Whereas there's, um, this is much more accessible in my opinion. who does um, a lot of cycling, um, but he used to do a lot of running as well. And he was telling me about an event. I can't remember the name, but someone listening will know. And if you're interested in sort of fell running and that, you'll understand, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, you basically, you have a start time, so it'd be like, right, go, you take off, you have a, and there's no, it'll go over like a day or two, but there's no set rest periods. So like, say if you were to run from like London to Edinburgh, for example, um, there's no, so if you want to sleep or rest, the timer mm-hmm. carries on. And so so like he was saying for like mental, like oh, the mental yeah. game of it is, is well hard because you're like, you have to prioritise and like, how do I eat and how do I rest and like how how much it's basically about doing how far you can go with as minimal rest as you can go uh, but again like you know mentally sort of pushing yourself through through endurance events like that uh, you've got to be comfortable in your own head you know I think and like, like you were saying as well like the, the nav side of it and like you know yeah you you get a bit of you go off wrong with your nav for like a k you know one kilometer that one kilometer you don't have the time to make that up in an event where it's capped at 24 hours. I mean, like, I know what you're talking about in the lakes and I'm sure a fair few will. That's not an area where you could lose 
you know, either altitude or distance because you won't make it up in the time, you know. And I think it's when races, if you were to if you were to complete that event, you know, come from yeah. a complete novice, never took a part in, in in that event at all. But if you were to complete that event and you had an hour left or you had two minutes left, the level of respect that you would get from everyone who's completed it or attempted it would be exactly the same. They'd be like, well, you've completed that. That's hard. You know, there'd be no, oh, well, I did it with an hour spare. You just wouldn't. You'd be sure to say, I've, I've completed this, you know. Yeah. It's great when he um, it goes to um, it goes to meet some of the people who have completed it. Yeah. And there's no ego, and all of them want to help him. And some of them are like, you know, in the sixties, and he's like, "Can you help me? You know, what you can, you're not going to run along with me, are you?" And they're like, "Yeah, of course we are." Yeah. Like, we're, we're, that's the sort of credence. The creed in the in the club is to. Um, Help anyone who's making it, you have to help them at whatever hour they need you. So it's obviously it's a 24 hour event. People are waiting in car parks at four in the morning yeah. to help each other on. It's a real community based um, thing to do. It's, it sounds amazing. And I, uh, yeah, I definitely a, want to veteran see Peter, more of that world. Um, Peter Wilcox, um, just after I'd left the army, um, a bit older than us, um, but he did the marathon de Sabs. Uh, and he was mega keen on like getting to do that. He's like, oh, wow. I, if I did it at like, you know, 50, you can do it. Like, why can't you do it? And I was like, well, just, you know, I don't run. He was like, you don't have to be able to run. You should have to be able to go. <laughs> like, but his, his, his attitude towards it isn't, uh, well, I've completed this event, you know, because like you said, then when I mentioned it, you're like, oh, wow. You know, we know that it's, it's not an easy event to, well, it's not an easy event to compete in. It's, it's a hard, hard environment. You know, the cutoffs are crucial. You know, if you miss your cutoff, you, you don't think you can miss. I think you can miss one cut off, and then if you don't make your second one after that, then it's game over. I think. But they now do a half, a half one as well, half distance. But again, you know, they're they're not easy events to compete in because of the travel element and all that and stuff. But he basically said that like as long as you commit your, if as long as you commit to distance running rather than running for time, then, you know, be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all achievable. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, so, oh, I'll run it next week then, mate. Yeah, of course. There's a, there's a, there's a sticking on running. There's a really good book. One of my favourites called um, "Born to Run" by Christopher McDougall. Now he's been sort of championed as someone who's really driven a, a running revolution, especially when it comes to like barefoot running. He talks a lot about um, this tribe. He's trying to learn the best running techniques from the tribe that he uh, follows in. He goes to meet some individuals in Mexico. Yeah. They're called the Tarahumara tribe. And they're um, like an indigenous people of Mexico who basically are very well equipped running. Like in the culture, it's a big part of the culture. And um, they've had to flee from a yeah. lot of domestic problems and foreigners and things like that. So they, um, they're a culture of runners. So he tries to learn the secrets of the Tahumara. Um, and then, again, fantastically well written. There's a lot of adventure elements of going down to Mexico and meeting these people who are quite secretive and um, there's not an easy way in for him. Um, but he's driven to do it, so he, he finds a way. And it's got um, really good... There's a lot of, like, peril. You know, yeah. they're in, the, the protagonists are in peril at some points and... and um, 
there's risks and rewards. Uh, there's lots of interesting stories, and it saves one of the best ones to the end. So Man. it just keeps giving yeah, yeah, it. Cool. It's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, that's a really good one. Um, and then there's another one. You might have read this actually called Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Uh, this is a very famous book. I'm, I imagine a lot of your your, um, mm-hmm. your listeners will have read yeah. this book or heard of it. So it's about the Everest disaster yeah. in um, in '96, and um, yes, it was made into the recent film uh, called Everest. So part so this book informed a lot of that film. Um, it's actually made of that film's made from three different mm. um, books into one screenplay. Um, all the protagonists are talked about in John Krakauer's book, and it's an absolute page turner and yeah. t- like a fiction book because you can't believe what's yeah. happening. The mistakes are making um, a lot of social commentary about mountains and how they might be overused. Um, a lot of talk about um, group dynamics. Yeah. So a lot of exped related things. Yeah. And just the effect altitude can have on you. And we know yeah. about that. We've been up high places. Um, and also the care and attention given to not just about your skills, because he's one of the more skilled um, members of his group um, in terms yeah. of his t- climbing technical ability, his knowledge. Um, he's done a few good pitches and things. Um, and, he, and he has this problem where he, he seems to be, he, he feels he's quite, he's quite an authority on climbing, yeah. but not on mountaineering. And, you know, he has to get humbled yeah. by the difference. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Not just not just the difference, but also some people that are going have found their niche. You know, they're very good at mountaineering and mm. are, uh, kind of rubbish at climbing, but they're guided well. So he talks a lot about the guiding principles and and how that's an important money stream. And he and he doesn't make a judgment on it all. He, he he's quite objective about how it is. Yeah. And then you have to put your own judgments upon it. It's really good. And there's, there's quite a bit of controversy in it as well. Um, so the edition I've read is on my Kindle, but um, it's, there's been some other people have chipped in to answer and ask and because um, there's disagreements about what happened. Obviously, only a few people know yeah. what happened up there yeah. on the mountain that day. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting how he handles that as well. But amazing, amazing page turner. So, I can't get enough of that book. Uh, mine is very similar to yours, really. Um Touching the Void was was a good one. That was obviously about Joe Simpson, the guy who had to, you know, crawl off the mountain uh, where his, his mate caught a rope. That is the story, effectively. Um, but there's a lot of... What was quite inspirational about that book is they're only young when they did that climb. They're only in the 20s. Um, and, there was a, you know, they took a lot of um, negative press, really, Um about that incident but if you read it in Mm. in a perspective of more of a case of well what would i do not a case of what they should have done because the only people who can ever make a judgment are the ones who were there you know you're always gonna be able to people can give great negatives to people if they weren't there it's very rare someone will give praise if something goes wrong um so so that was a good one um i can't remember the title but the the book from ernest shackleton uh, and and his adventure uh, well well expedition that went wrong um but it's quite an adventure. Adventure. Um, and then <laughs> non-fiction. They're not, they're not autobiography books or anything like that. They're just ones that I've read because they interested me. Um, 
and they all fit the similar sort of build, yeah. really. Um, one called The Warrior Ethos by a guy called Stephen Pressfield. Um, it's not a very long book by any means. It's only about 90 pages, um, so a quick read. And it just covers the mm. um, different attributes of, of soldiers or, or you know fighters throughout the ages, basically, from different areas and places like Norway, um, Greece, um, and how, how they were trained from being you know, young men or children to adult fighting life um, and things like that. So that's good. It's got a good, you know, few quotes in it that are really poignant. And and if you read it from an ex-military point of view, it's 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 a good read. Um, so that that's a good one. And then the other two um, are by a guy called um, Jack Donovan. Um, now, this guy's got a lot of bad press, um, I think. Um from the outside looking in because he's you could argue the fact that he's in he's in a white gang um in the states but his books are written about um the difference between if you were to take it as like us versus them you know in community so the first book is called the way of men uh, and the second book is called becoming a barbarian and they're both sort of interlinked in in how they're written basically um so what they're about is he tries to explain the difference between um, feminism and masculinity and, and how his view is. I mean, you can if you read it with an open mind, you can read it at a point where, you, you know, you might agree with a lot of it, you might disagree, but you've, you've got to be quite open-minded with stuff like this, I think. He basically states that he, he feels as if modern-day masculinity is, has been sort of eroded from what it once was because... You have to be very careful what you say and how you act and how you look and dress and things like that. Um, again, that's subjective, you know, each to their own. Um, I agree with some of it, um, not all of it. Um, so that was that was a good read. And it's it talks about how, um, like, modern-day people are opposed to violence, but only because you have the pretense that there's other people there to do violence for you. So what I mean by that is, you know, They'll, they'll, I saw a lot of this sort of, you know, from a military perspective, there's a lot of people who are anti-war, so they're anti-soldier. Um, bear in mind, being a soldier is a job, and there's a whole host of job streams in, in you know, whatever you chose to be in. Um, but, like, if, you know, if, God forbid, anything to happen in our country and people to invade and start wrecking the place, you know, you'd want someone to step in and do it for you. So he talks about people who sort of stand on the fence and keep guard and those who are happy to live in the community that is safe on the inside. So it's quite an interesting read um, from that perspective. Uh, again, I think if, you know, unless you're, you, you, you've just got to be a bit open-minded when you read it, I think. Um, that that was very interesting. Um, and then obviously the, the standard classics that you would come across for the outdoor world, you know, ones from like Joe Brown and stuff like that. Um, and obviously growing up, um, yeah, you know, people like that are quite influential in, in, you know, our lives. I feel as you know, the life that we've chosen. Um, and then obviously there's a couple of us that I started reading, but didn't finish. So Ed Stafford's book, uh, when he, when he did the Amazon, um, I tried to get on board with that, but just couldn't finish it. But I do intend to at some point. Um, and that's it really. We've only got about, um, 10 minutes left. Um, I have to skim over the practical ones. Yeah. Um, so these are really sort of like, Mine, I've mine are really sort of condensed because of what I do now for for a living and and you know gaining qualifications. So 
there's a couple of books that I probably would have looked at when I was younger um, that I've, I've, I no longer really look at um, because they don't have any need to me. I think you can skim for a lot of stuff. Um, so there's a couple of books from, you know, Collins, who do dictionaries and stuff like that. Obviously not the dictionary. That's a useful book. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do books called, uh, <laughs> they do, well, they publish ones called like Food for Free and Mushrooms and, and Trees and stuff like that. They're all like identifying books. Um, I use them yeah. on my ML um, because you have to do a bit on flora and fauna. Um, but again, they're really handy for doing like youth work and teaching young people because you've got a visual aid and a reference guide for yourself. When someone says, what's this? And you can't remember. Um, they're great to, to help teach with. Um, also, there's a book called um, Mountain Craft and Leadership by Eric Lang. Uh, Eric. Eric Langmore, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, I think, I'll just check. I think we're on the fourth edition now, or the third edition. Um, uh, fourth edition. Uh, I think that's the most common one. That's all I've got anyway. That is basically, if you were to condense the mountain leader qualification into one book, um, that book is your mountain leader qualification. Um, again, published by, like, you know, Mountain Training England right. and Mountain Training Scotland. Um now that that book is amazing as a as a teaching aid for obviously when you're doing your ML and stuff, it's full, it's got everything you need to know in it. Um, but as a reference guide, if you're learning nav and things like that, it, it literally covers everything. It's like the outdoor bible. Um, and then obviously the ones that I've like, posted on yeah. IC you know, about foraging and things like that, just handy little practical books. Um, yeah. I think the only one I'd stand out in memory other than the mountain craft one, um, because I used it so much when I was doing my ML. Um, John Lofty Wiseman's SES Survival Handbook. That was a key point of growing up as a kid. I think uh, my dad or oh, yeah. Dave gave me a copy um, when I was, you know, when I was in Scouts, and that was it. Then that's all I wanted to do was go and build dens and, and traps. And you know, I think I think if you if you've got a little boy or, or a little girl, you know, <laughs> but if you've got a little boy and you want to inspire them to be in the outdoors, just give him that book. You know, I uh, I recently gave Bradley one of Ray Mays's books like that, and he's not put it down. Um, yeah. The only other book I think that's worth touching and mention on is um, there's one called Training for the New Alpinism. Um, and it's basically um, a training guide to develop you for um, altitude climbing. So it's very good for sort of, because it's obviously, you've got to be hill fit. Uh, you have to have, you know, you've got to be fit, but you've got to be able to handle altitude. Um, and it's all right because it's a bit in depth. Yeah. Um, there's quite a lot of unless, unless you're doing a lot of alpine climbing, then you don't really need it. Um, but it's worth mentioning because it's a great reference book, really. And uh, that's it for me, mate. Really, on those. Mm-hmm. So I've got similar list. Um, mountain leader training. I dug these out. These are actually my wife's, but I dug them out. So there's three volume of mountain leader training UK reference books. There's hill walking's volume one, rock climbing's volume two, and winter skills is volume three. Yeah. There are probably other volumes because that doesn't encompass everything. But yeah, reference book for what to do, how to use te- mm. a lot of technique based things, how to set your pitches, um, pacing, you know, just your Bobby basic, but also um, some stuff that can be really useful. And yeah, it's always good to revisit some of these. I've got another book here that your brother, um, this might actually be his copy that he's lent to me, called The Book of the Bivy yeah. by Ronald Turnbull. Ronald Turnbull actually gets a mention in yeah. um, Feet in the Clouds, I was talking about before. It's, it's a well-written, short little book about how to use a bivy bag. And he's really trying to like 
make sure people invest yeah. in bivy bags and use them. Um, bivy is obviously a massive part of lightweight, mm. quick adventures and it makes you very portable and, and a bit safer. So yeah, obviously get a bivy bag, but get a book as well. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's fun enough to read anyway. And then there's um, there's a great book here called Micro Adventures. Um, I listened to you, you and your brother talking about um, micro adventures. You probably said it a lot on the um, yeah on the first podcast you did. And uh, this is more like an e- a book about ethos. There's a load of information in here about the micro adventures. Uh, Alistair Humphreys has been on. He's the author, and he's quite a good bot on. Um, Instagram and stuff to follow because he he does talk a lot about um, trying to make yeah. adventure a career like a, 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 a suitable the means dream. of living <laughs> and he um, the dream yeah it's fabulous so he talks he talks about books he loves like Swallows and Amazons and this and he basically um, he's got this view that adventure is where you find it so if you if you wanted to have an adventure you could go out and and find one there, and there's some great ones that he, just about 50 or 60 different yeah. things that he's done overnight. So rather than having a, a nine to five job, he has a five to nine adventure. So he leaves his workplace and goes bivy bagging outside or paddles to an island and camps overnight. And then he dusts himself down yeah. in the morning, commutes back to work like, you know, nothing's happened. He does loads of things that aren't the great. He does like really arbitrary things like I'm going to go and um, cycle to the yeah. highest point in my county. So he, he just finds that on a map, off he goes. It, really simple ideas to just get you out the door, because yeah. once you're out, you're having an adventure, and that that's a mindset shift. It doesn't have to do this big, arduous trek or something that's really mm. unachievable to where you are now. You can have an adventure five miles yeah, from yeah. your house. That's what he's saying in yeah. his books. It's really good. Um. Yeah, uh, so that's fabulous, that one. Uh, I've got a couple of honourable mentions as well, if there's time. I know we're, like, <laughs> looking a bit dancey on time here. <laughs> so there's two I read when I was um, younger, and they're more about um, people's travels around. Yeah. They're like travel books, basically. But I've seen these so many times in different hostels I've been staying at, and there's often a really good um, book exchange going on at hostels, so you'd leave a book. Um, so the three, the one's the Motorcycle Diaries by Ernesto Che Guevara. Um, so Che Guevara was obviously left-wing revolutionary in Cuba. He um, he was Argentinian-born, and, and while he was training to be a doctor, he took a trip on his motorbike with his best friend all around Argentina and other parts of South America, and he wrote about it in a diary, and then that was t- that was turned into a book. Um, Obviously, he was killed in action in the 60s. So he, uh, th- this was eventually found his diary from that time and then turned into a film and, and a very good book. Um, so that's good. I've left that in a hostel in South America, actually. So I need Go to back and get it. <laughs> I'll find that one day. Um, yeah, that's, that'd, yeah. Be, that'd be a trip. Um, another one's A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. It's one of the first books I read about yeah. long distance hiking. So him and his um, his slightly rotund friend go for a walk up the Appalachian Trail, yeah. which is like one of the longest um, walks in America, USA. Um, 
And I read, my dad lent me this because he loves Bill Bryson books. He's done loads and travel around Europe and America and different places that he's been. But this is really good about someone who's maybe not into the outdoors trying to put yourself yeah. into the outdoors and get inspired and get fit and do a lot of the things that maybe um, people need a bit of a rocket to do that sometimes. So he, he does it and it's hilarious. And then there's a really good book I love called uh, McCarthy's Bar by Pete McCarthy. Nope. You might not have heard of him. He's not a dead famous author. He did a lot of um, screenwriting for things you might have seen, TV shows you might have seen. I'm just looking in the pages here. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of travel writing he did. So basically his idea for an adventure is really simple. Um, he's half Irish and um, his surname is McCarthy. So every time he sees a pub that says McCarthy on it, oh, right. he goes cool. into the pub. <laughs> so anywhere in the world, if it's a Mac- if it's a McCarthy's bar, Ace. he goes in. And um, he ends up, he wants to, he's from Warrington, yeah. so not too far from us, and he wants to find out more about his, right. his own heritage. And obviously he's heard a bit from his dad. So he goes to... Um, West, he goes to Ireland, yeah. Basically, he goes uh, yeah. to the west of Ireland from between Cork and Donegal, and he goes in every bar that has McCarthy's name on it or Pete. So he goes in any Pete's as well. So there's a lot of Peters and a lot of McCarthy's in Ireland, and he goes in these mad bars. Basically, he has yeah, a great time, would, yeah. as you would do. Um, not least because yeah, yeah, he's pissed it'll, most it'll of most of it. Yeah. <laughs> But he um he meets a lot of interesting people and they're all pleased to meet him because he's a McCarthy. So yeah, they all think they're related to him. And he's so he, he just and and it's more about the Irish people, you know, they're like yeah. sort of the most beloved, aren't they, on earth? Um, because they're quite open and want to talk to you and uh, yeah, a lot of this is um yeah interesting sort of matter for a book so he, he just what of what he remembers he writes down and it is all yeah. pretty golden i love that awesome thing hey. cool right well i think that kind of <laughs> yeah. like brings us to, right, to well. just under an hour so um i think what would be good if we could get on in the week at some point again and we could do one about um like documentaries or films as well that are very similar to books you know what i mean um yeah yeah definitely. but um mate yeah I think there's a lot of crossover yeah, it's there. It's been yeah. great having a chat again. You know, thanks for um, thanks for you know getting that hour to one side to go through a few bits, and uh, I'm sure people appreciate it. If you need anything, drop myself or uh, or Jonathan uh, a message on the gram, and uh, we'll give you the reference to 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 whatever it needs to be um, for any of the books that we mentioned. But yeah, funny. Thanks very much for coming on, mate, and um, and everyone else. You know, yeah, yeah everyone else. Thank My you very pleasure. much. Stay safe, and we'll uh, we'll be back soon. Take care.